Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comic Dr Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids in a technology-centric world and we want to help. What have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, we've got a bit of a theme about body image. A bit later, you're going to hear an interview with an eminent researcher from right here in Adelaide. But first up, we've got... Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out and demystify it so it can inform your family's decision about how you engage with screens. Today, we're discussing a paper from Ireland about body image and social media. Is bigger really better? Is strong and fit the new skinny? Can we escape today's focus on appearance? Stay tuned. As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of Ireland about social media and body image. One of the things that piqued my curiosity is that the title refers to differences between boys and girls in how they cope with all of that. And I find it interesting they even refer to boys at all, since traditionally it's been thought this is an issue just for girls. Anyway, Kim, why'd they do this research? The research was conducted to investigate the relationship between social media use and body dissatisfaction among teens. Mm -hmm. The teenage period is a time where one forms your sense of identity, including how you view your physical body. Mm. Body dissatisfaction is defined as negative thoughts and feelings about one's body. Mm -hmm. It's uh, known to contribute to various issues such as eating disorders, disordered eating, low self-esteem and poor psychological well-being. The prevalent rates of body weight dissatisfaction are relatively high amongst teenage girls and Mm. boys globally. Even the widespread use of social media among teens, this study aimed to explore whether social media serves as a potential risk factor for body dissatisfaction. Mm. Okay, so what was their methodology? How did they go about this research? The researchers formed four qualitative focus groups. Mm-hmm. Another qualitative in, one, like last week. Yeah, interviewing them face-to-face, which were conducted with 29 teens, 23 of them were girls, aged 15 to 16, and they were mixed-gender Irish secondary schools. Okay. So what they find? The authors revealed that teens use many different strategies, such as avoiding negative content and selecting positive content. Mm -hmm. Teens would critically evaluate body-related content, psychologically distance themselves from and positively reframing any challenging content, although less frequently. Mm. Boys exhibited greater positive agency over their bodies and social media use and tended to use more active coping styles than girls. Mm. Efforts to promote body image on social media such as body positive pages and exposing artificial social media content were considered limited in their effectiveness. Mm. So anything surprising about any of that to you? The gender differences obviously were surprising. I think Mm. it comes down to culturally placing an importance on body image and we're always comparing ourselves to other people online. Mm. 
there is always going to be an upward comparison which is not realistically attainable nor sustainable mm -hmm. and you know it's it's interesting that they commented on the nature of this calling out of filtered and edited photos of influencers which may not always work as intended hmm. do you want to talk some more about that why doesn't it work as intended from my understanding the girls didn't necessarily uh, react well to those types of um, strategies mm. or, you know, they didn't bother to spend too much time focusing on those particular accounts. Mm. So there are people who are trying to counter the influencer culture by posting up videos only to criticize mm. someone so, for example, they might point out an account which is trying to glamorize a certain body type, but then the person in the video will point out that this video has been edited using this particular software yeah. and you can tell the differences. So yeah. it's kind of like an educational type of account. Yeah, and that doesn't seem to have much of an impact on the girls in the study is what they're saying. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, certainly worth reflecting on a bit more, isn't it? That I guess if you do take that approach of saying, look, you've seen this, but here's the truth, here's the reality, that's a very rational kind of approach, whereas these things operate at an ir irrational level, don't they? So it's probably not all that surprising that they're not terribly yeah. effective. Yeah. yeah. You need to find another way. Okay. Um, so do you have any reservations about the finding? The authors did acknowledge that it was difficult to recruit a focus group of boys. Yeah. Body image is something that girls might be more familiar with and mm. more comfortable in discussing. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't completely exclude them, which mm. uh, is a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the fact that they saw this as something that extends to boys, although I, I understand that it's a different kind of issue for boys because the body type that they are encouraged to aspire to is more a sort of big buff muscular type of body, which is something that you know, might not be as difficult to achieve. Like it obviously requires some work to achieve it, but um, it's not as difficult to achieve as the sort of tall, slim, narrow-hipped, large-breasted body that um, you kind of either have or don't have as a female. So anyway, does this kind of stuff cross your desk as a psychiatrist much? Is it can, is not it not a great you? deal. No. Look, we, we are aware of our focus on body image and there is such a diversity of strategies used by young people. Mm, yeah. And I would think there would be other psychiatrists who really do focus on body image and disordered eating and so on. So they're probably yeah. the, the ones who yeah. would pay most attention to this. And of course, um, most of the rest of this episode is going to be taken up with a psychologist who has spent her life studying body image. So listen out for that in a few minutes. But uh, let's just finish off thinking about this particular paper. Could the research inform parenting or caring for children, do you think, Kim? It's important to discuss and prioritise your family values and remind kids that there's more to life than living your life through other people's TikTok accounts. <laughs> yeah, sure. And also to maybe, like, if you are aware of these different strategies that were discussed in the paper, then you could discuss them with your child and say, well, you know, when you see this kind of image, you know, do you think you'd want to do this or that? Or how does it make you feel? And would you feel differently if uh, we looked at it this other way or something like that? Okay, well, thanks for that, Kim. Now we'll head on to the interview.
Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting tips from Kim about body image and such in children's lives. The paper was by Kira Mann and David Heavey and the title is Processing Body Image on Social Media, Gender Differences in Adolescent Boys and Girls Agency and Active Coping. It was published in the journal Frontiers in Psychology and full details are in the show notes. Now we normally have a movie review in this segment, but for this episode we're opening up more space for the interview with Professor Marika Tigman. Yes, we'll be back with another review in the next episode. But in the meantime, if you need to find a suitable movie for your child and you just can't wait, head to www.childrenandmedia.org.au. Then you can find the Know Before You Go review service by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab and sort the list or search by title alphabetically, by age suitability, by classification or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development and they cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002, as well as selected M-rated movies and some pre-2002 ones that are available on streaming services. The website also has reviews of game style apps and apps that may appeal to young children. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to sign up for our KBYG know before you go weekly newsletter about the latest reviews and join the cma facebook community links for both are in the show notes now it's time for zooming out our regular segment where we look at some of the broader social and policy issues that get thrown up by all the different ways screens come into children's lives today we're continuing the body image theme with an interview with somebody who helped to put those issues on the map professor marika tigman Yes, Marika is uh, Matthew Flinders Distinguished Emeritus Professor at Flinders University and with over 375 publications and I think I saw 50,000 citations. She's yeah, she's the go to person on psychological research about body image. I was lucky enough to catch up with her recently and here's how it went. I'm here with Marika Tigerman, as promised, and she's going to give us a bit of information about what she's spent a lot of her career doing, which is researching body image. Welcome to the show, Marika. Oh, thank you, Lizzie. So to start off, how did you first become interested in this research on the psychology of body image? I arrived at Flinders University in the 80s and I'd done, a, you know, I had a fresh experimental PhD and I didn't have a lab or anything like that. So that was an opportunity for me to sit down and think about what I really wanted to research. And I thought something about women, something about body, something about food at that stage. Hmm. And then that gradually coalesced into the idea of body image. Hmm. Back then, that was sort of a strange thing to do. And if I said I was working on body image, the most common response would be, what's that? Yeah, sure. And then after that would be, why would anyone want to work on that? The idea being that body image was kind of trivial or only an issue for a very small group of adolescent girls, perhaps. So things have changed a lot in that regard. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It seems like you were there just at the exact right moment where all of those ideas were taking off in the feminist literature and that you were able to provide something that a lot of people would have been very, very interested to know about. Yeah, it seems so. I mean, sometimes I think, was it just luck that I embarked on this or was it kind of things coming together? And as you say, it was the kind of the right, Mm. right time. Yeah, and I'd suggest there was a bit of good judgment involved. What do you reckon? Oh, maybe, maybe. (laughs) So if you had to pick 
I'm not going to ask you to tell me the whole story of your very long and successful career, but if you had to pick two or three of your most important findings, what would they be? Okay. Um, Historically, probably one of the most important ones that now seems kind of obvious was in um, around 2004, we did a study, mostly a PhD student, Haley Don't, that was looking at five to eight-year-old girls Mm -hmm. and established that on average, six-year-old girls expressed a desire to be thinner. Mm. Up until then, people hadn't thought that for, for kids. So five-year-old girls were sort of all over the place, didn't care, someone to be bigger, someone to be smaller. Mm. But six-year-old girls, on average, want to be thinner, yeah. which is not to say that they were kind of suffering as such, but they had clearly internalised for themselves those ideals that yeah. were out there. And in that study, the things that predicted that were appearance-type TV, so like watching music videos, Mm -hmm. and also having a look at magazines like Dolly. Now, this must have been their older sisters because these were five- to eight-year-olds. And also having some perception of peer norms, that their peers thought this as well. Mm -hmm. So they were the three things that were associated and predicted this desire for thinness in six-year-olds. And so... It kind of sounds obvious, but that was really quite important Mm. at the time. Yeah, I remember it coming out at the time, definitely. And I wasn't terribly surprised because, you know, I had been a six-year-old girl myself and had enough of a memory about what that was like. And, uh, And I know certainly I knew other girls definitely who wanted to be thinner by that age. And um, I guess I remember thinking at the time, yeah, thank goodness somebody's telling this story because mm. it really needs to be told. And, and especially the way that you were able to link it back to um, media exposure, mm. which is uh, obviously of great interest for us today. So that's number one. Got some okay. more? The second one is an altogether different sort of thing. And that is with the recognition of body image as an issue and the role of the media in that. Mm-hmm. Governments all over the place are trying to find ways of ameliorating that. Hmm. And one of the strategies is this idea that if an image has been digitally altered, hmm. is it have some sort of warning label or disclaimer, something saying this image has been digitally altered to enhance appearance, something like that. And indeed, that was, has been suggested in Australia and it's been enacted in law in Israel in 2012, in France in 2017, and Norway 2021. Hmm. Now, on the surface, this sounds like a very good idea. The idea being that if you point out that the image is digitally altered, that's not realistic. That means that it's not attainable. That means that you shouldn't compare yourself with that particular image. Very rational. And therefore, makes perfect sense. Body satisfaction or body image should be preserved. So that's the logic, and almost everyone believes that. So Except then you and me. <laughs> we embarked on a series of studies, um, and they've now been replicated by others as well, showing that that strategy simply doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it appears that the reason it doesn't work is it falls down on the step of people comparing less. Yeah. So it doesn't result in decreased comparison, mm-hmm. and indeed sometimes it results in more comparison. So if you have a a label, something like this image has been altered to thin legs, say we've done a series of eye-tracking studies, what do you think happens? They look at the legs. Look at the legs, exactly. And so sometimes these labels cause people to look more Hmm. at the bodies than they would have without a label. So they can actually be positively 
damaging. Fascinating. And this has taken a while to come across. Interestingly, at first studies, we had trouble publishing because everyone said, well, of course that would work. And um, more recent studies, people are saying, well, we all know that it doesn't work. So it's a sort of an interesting shift in the the views of these things. But I would say that our work is the most instrumental in that shift. And we're thinking that it's really to do with the image speaks louder than the words. No matter what words you put on there, there's the image. And also the idea that even if models or whoever need to be digitally altered, that doesn't help the body image of average-looking mm. people. Yeah, sure. That's more likely to, to damage it, um, yes. which is the yeah. general finding. Yeah, so even our model wasn't good enough for us. You're definitely exactly. not good enough. Yeah, exactly. cool. Oh, there's so much in that, isn't yeah. there? So the thing that I was thinking was, um, it was something that I've come across for years talking to you and to other psychology people where, especially with advertising, there's this belief out there that if you just put a disclaimer on advertising, somehow that's going to cause all of everybody's rational faculties to kick in and they'll say, oh, okay, well, of course that's bloody blah, blah. But what that doesn't understand is that advertising doesn't work on rational faculties. It, it works on other stuff and other kinds of processing. And so you can't in- interrupt that with a rational message. Yeah, I think that's so. But even at the rational level, yeah. it's rational to be thinking your body's not good enough if you see that kind of stuff, yeah, really. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And especially if you're young mm. and if you haven't fully developed all the parts of your brain. Yeah. Right. You've been studying body image for all these years and there's obviously a lot underlying that that makes people so interested in it. That is that there are other impacts on people's health and well-being if they have poor body image. So do you want to just run through those? Sure. It actually has a fairly widespread impact. I think originally people thought it was kind of trivial, but Mm. some of the things include leading to restrictive dieting Mm -hmm. practices and themselves contributing to actual clinical eating disorders and disordered eating. Which is a really big deal, isn't it? They're very serious. really quite difficult to treat. um, I've heard that of all of the mental conditions, it's the one that's most likely to be fatal. Yes, that that is is so. Mm -hmm. So it is really quite a a serious problem. Then there's um, excessive and compulsive exercise. Right. So by compulsive exercise, we're talking about when people get injured or the exercise starts taking precedence over their social engagements. Mm -hmm. Then used to be smoking in girls to try and keep their weight down. I'm imagining that vaping might be used similarly. That was going to be my next question. Uh, Then there's in men, boys, the use of supplements and Mm steroids or whatever, yeah. uh, potentially. Mm-hmm. Then we've got unnecessary cosmetic procedures and, and surgeries. Mm. Then we can think about sexual functioning and okay. satisfaction. Right. So, and this makes good sense, if you've got poor body image, you're unlikely to be able to engage well in yeah. good sexual activity. Yeah. In anything where you get your kid off, it's not going to be terribly comfortable, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then probably just the broadest one is self-esteem. So body image is related to self-esteem and that's the whole way you think about yourself. Mm. And a number of studies have shown prospectively that poor body image does precede drops in Mm self-esteem. So it does seem to be a a genuine contributor, predictor Mm of self-esteem. So all of those things together are not Mm. trivial. 
and sure. the reach is kind of vast, yeah. not not narrow. Yeah. yeah, and I would have thought that also self-esteem would then have flow-on effects for your relationships, your oh, employment, success, just everything in your life. Yeah, yeah. everything. Mm. That's the kind of the broadest concept probably mm. that we have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think of it as effectively what we, I don't know who, society has done, is made a lot of young people miserable for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They've got plenty of other ways to be made miserable (laughs) or make themselves miserable. We don't need to be adding to it. Now, I understand you took a bit of a turn at one point to start looking at self-objectification. Can you explain what that is and how it relates to body image? Sure. So the starting point, I guess, is that in cultures like ours, Western cultures, the female body has been socially constructed as an object to be looked at and evaluated on the base of appearance, as we can see in the presentations in the visual media and in other ways as well. And the idea is that that's so sort of pervasive that women and girls come to be socialised to view themselves in that way. Mm -hmm. That is, they start to view their own bodies as an object to be looked at and evaluated. Mm. And that's what we refer to as self-objectification, as it sounds, objectifying your own body yourself. And so that sort of ends up being characterised by a constant habitual monitoring of the body, habitual anxiety about the body, and habitual shame about the body as well. Mm. And so they're the things that lead into negative body image or body dissatisfaction and it's thought then to also contribute to poor mental health in more broadly. Yeah, yeah. That, that all makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? How that, yeah. If you start seeing your body as something separate from you and something that you need to evaluate and control in some way rather than sort of work with, then that can lead to yeah other bad stuff. And so people wander around all the time being self-conscious of how they look, I guess. Mm. A specific issue of concern is the increasing sexualization of younger and younger mm. girls in the mm. form of um, music and music lyrics and clothes and padded bras and high heel shoes and mm. whatever the targeting is at the, the tween market. Mm. And the idea that that will contribute to self-objectification mm-hmm. kind of earlier yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not difficult to join those dots in my view. But yeah, we'd be really interested to know if any of the listeners have got any experience with that and thoughts on that. So by all means, leave us a comment if you've uh, got anything to say about all of that. Uh, you've touched on the role of media use in all of this, and obviously that's something that we're very, very interested in for this podcast. So have you got some more? Can you go into some more depth about that? Sure. So tons of research has shown that media exposure to sort of appearance-focused content is related to poorer body image and a variety of other things as well. More recently, of course, the focus has been on social media, and now there are a number of systematic reviews that have likewise shown that social media use is associated with body dissatisfaction and disordered eating. We love a systematic review. Yeah, (laughs) and it's um, particularly the viewing and the uploading of photos that seems to be particularly problematic in this regard, as you might might expect. And again, the underlying process is this idea of social comparison. Mm. Now, social media is interesting, of course, because it's very different from traditional media, like magazines and so on, in that it's Mm peer-generated. And at the beginning of social media, a lot of people thought that this would be really good for body image because you've got ordinary people 
putting out their stuff and that should normalise average bodies and Mm -hmm. it all should be great. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it hasn't turned out that way and a a casual look through any of the the platforms reveals a a whole world populated by beautiful people who have near-perfect lives and near-perfect relationships and the whole whole rest of it. Mm. So how did that happen? Firstly, I think social media is, of course, used by models, actors, influencers, fitness gurus and a whole heap of other beautiful people. So that's one part. And the other part is that even average people, whatever that means, only present a curated reel of their best photos. Mm. So when they're looking good or when they're doing something really interesting. And so the end result is, although social media is supposed to be about peers, it still presents very unrealistic ideals for the the people looking at it. Yeah. yeah. So there's two sides of that. Like you said, there's the fact that you see the models and influencers alongside your friends. And so you you don't necessarily differentiate them from your friends. If you're flicking through, scrolling through, making the comparisons, you don't think about the model differently to how you think about your friend from down the street. And so the comparison is still there. And then, as you say, even your friend from down the street will be presenting a curated version of herself. Yeah, I think social media has been called the media of similar others. And it's that idea that everyone is kind of the same and more relatable. Mm -hmm. And so it, even though it's not, it feels a lot more real. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of about the viewing of images. But then we also have the issue of putting up images. Mm. And a lot of people put up selfies. And the literature shows that many women and girls spend a lot of time figuring out what they're going to put out taking multiple photos, getting the most flattering angle, and then almost invariably filtering them and Mm -hmm. sometimes digitally altering them as well. So that's part of what becomes everyone else's environment. But the research shows that doing that also decreases one's own body satisfaction. So we did a study in the lab, admittedly, where people took a a selfie and then they edited and we found that produced... Uh, lower mood Hmm. and also more facial dissatisfaction was only with their faces. Hmm. And furthermore, that the extent that they edited it, which we had a a measure of, was a predictor of the decrease in satisfaction. And that's kind of an important finding and it has been not exactly replicated, but other versions show that as well. Hmm. So it's not just looking at the stuff it's actually putting up your own stuff and you can imagine that that really plays into people's self-objectification because you're putting the photos up there precisely to be looked at and mm. commented on yeah so you're um, looking from the perspective of the person who's looking at the exactly photo. yeah exactly so that's another feature of social media that's not there at mm. all in traditional media and then a little bit related to that is the ability to make comment likes or whatever And we had another study which showed that the amount people invest in likes and the feedback they get is also related to poor body image. Mm. So there are a few extra bits and pieces on social media Mm. from traditional media formats. Gee, it doesn't stop, does it? So outside the research community, what kind of responses have you had? Governments come knocking on your door and wanting to use your work or what's Um, that been? Well, occasionally. I mean, the research has been used not by me directly, but in a number of submissions to various parliamentary bodies or whatever. The disclaimer research that I referred to before has had 
uh, impact, mm-hmm. caused the withdrawal of some draft legislation mandating disclaimers that was going to be put up in New York City, huh. the Media and Public Health Act in uh, 2014. Wow, cool. And, you know, I was a bit scared about that because that was pretty early on. And um, I thought, oh, man. But anyway, <laughs> instead they went with a campaign showing a diversity of girls' shapes and sizes huh. with uh, I'm beautiful the way I am. So that's one. And it was also instrumental in changing the eventual French legislation, mm-hmm. which ended up being, you can do this, photographie retouché, mm-hmm. entirely generic from the very specific one that it was going to be before. Mm. So nice. that's yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. And as you were mentioning before, when we were just setting up here in the studio, you have done the odd uh, media interview yes. over the years. Yeah, and I suppose um, the biggest piece of exposure, I guess, was in Taron Brumfitz, who's the Australian oh, yeah. of the Year, yeah. 2016 film called Embrace, mm. where I did a brief interview on parents and girls and what mm-hmm. they should and shouldn't say, which just in terms of uh, numbers of people seeing it probably... yeah. Manyfold outstrips the research papers. <laughs> no doubt. But that's good. It's all impact. We love impact, don't we? Yeah. So now that you've retired, that's relatively recently, and you're still doing a fair bit of stuff, aren't you? Still supervising well, PhD yes, students. Well, yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, you are moving out of the field a bit. So what would you like to see happening once you move away? I think that one of the things that needs to happen and will happen is the attempt to use social media in some way for good body image. Yep. That can be at the level of content and there's a whole heap of BOPO stuff out there, but of course how do you get people to look at it is a different matter. Yeah. But also at the level of, or well, structurally at the level of the algorithms. So one of the mm. problems with social media is these algorithms that give people more of what they already look and Mm. so if you look up something slightly eating disordered you get more and more extreme versions of it Um, it would be possible to generate algorithms that would intersperse that or if you looked at too much of this give you some other Mm -hmm. opposing uh, content nice yeah it doesn't Um, sound hard does it mm. But with an economic and political will, that would be possible to yeah. actually use the algorithms because these are person-made algorithms yeah, absolutely. Uh, to try and do good things mm-hmm. and to try and stop people going down rabbit holes or mm. nasty places and to take them somewhere beneficial. So I think that's a, a big area that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I guess more generally an increased focus on what's been called positive body image, mm-hmm. which is referring to appreciating and loving and honouring your body, even if it doesn't look quite right, mm-hmm. and even if you don't really like how it looks. It's still yours. It's still yours. It's and the, the only of, one you've got. Exactly. And that has lots of positive health benefits to mm-hmm. accept your body and to like it, because mm-hmm. then you look after it. <laughs> and the kinds of predictors there are engaging in embodying activity. So mm-hmm. things like, I don't know, yoga or some forms of dance or some mm-hmm. forms of sport, that's more likely to lead to positive body image. But just more generally, more research and more things that lead to positive body image. It's not meant to be the opposite of negative body image. So, for example, we had a study which showed that body appreciation, positive body image, goes up with age, hmm. whereas body satisfaction 
stays more or less stable. Mm. So you can be a bit dissatisfied but still appreciate your body, Mm. is it really? And that has some merit because maybe it's difficult to do something about the bits of your body that don't match up to reality and maybe it's difficult to not be dissatisfied with them at some level. But if you can live with that and de-emphasise that and emphasise what your body can do for mm-hmm. you, then that might be an easier ask of people as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you just told the life of many a middle-aged woman mm. <laughs> when you said that. So there we are. There, there is hope and uh, there's, there's plenty that can be done. Well, Marika, it's been a great pleasure having you here on the podcast. Thank you very much for spending the time. Ah, you're most welcome. Now, listeners, before we wrap up, I just wanted to reflect on the theme that emerged between our two segments today of not relying on rational persuasion when it comes to body image. We saw both in Paper Round and in the interview how the seeds of poor body image are sown in other ways and it's resistant to even explicit messages about lack of realism or lack of reality, whether it's through an account dedicated to that kind of message or through disclaimers on specific images. From what I can gather, the best strategy is to just create a whole different narrative about our bodies and our relationships with them. We focus on what our bodies can do and what they need from us rather than how they might look to other people. All easier said than done, of course. As always, if you have any thoughts or experience of this, we'd love to hear from you. Listen out now for some information about how to get in touch. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for episode 25. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch. If you're a subscriber on Substack, you can leave a comment there. Otherwise, you can contact us through Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Outside the Screen Pod, all one word, or you can email us at Outside the Screen Pod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction on my website, CGI Clinic, and even book an appointment for me to assess your child. Or if you really like us, you can help by subscribing to the show on your listening platform and or on Substack. It's worth doing both because Substack subscribers get an email when a new episode drops or there's other news, and you can also join our listener community. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. We'd also love it if you could spread the word about the podcast among your friends and colleagues. Finally, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. And this This has been been the team from Outside the Screen. See you soon.